In the beginning, God. Logically, something has to be eternal. (laughs) Most people seem to imagine that matter is eternal. But the first and second laws of thermodynamics prove that this cannot be. Physics says no, matter cannot be. God and God alone is eternal, has existed and will always exist. He is not a part of this nature. God is spirit. His nature, his essence, belongs to another dimension. He is spirit. Many people think of spirit as ethereal, not having any substance at all. That is not correct. There is a spiritual substance. It's just nothing like the physical. And no, I don't know what it is. (laughs) And we're leaping past a great deal of logic and information here to get to what we want to learn today. Here's another piece of the puzzle that we need to know. The one God in nature exists as a trinity. There has always been a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As to persons, God is three. Each person of the Trinity is holy God. But each person is their own person. The Father is not the Son, who is not the Holy Spirit. As we discuss the plan of God, we need to be very clear that the Son is God. He is eternal. He is spirit. He is all the attributes of God, Because he is God. The title, Christ, relates to the Son's work on this earth. Christ, it's Hebrew Messiah, means the anointed one, the chosen one. The usage comes from the practice of identifying the one chosen to be king by anointing him with oil. So, the anointed one is the chosen one. Now, we've started at the beginning of time, the beginning of this Universe, And now we're going to talk about everything that ever happened for all time. (laughs) I know you're thinking this might take a few minutes, (laughs) but not to worry. We'll fly real high. This will be an overview of all the history of all the universe. And, okay, really just the main events. Like creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created all things. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, why would they do that? (laughs) Why would they create? Well, because they have a plan. All the material universe was created ex nihilo. Technically, that means out of nothing. Not that the universe came from nothing. It came from the mind of God. But it came from nothing else physical. That's what we're trying to say here. It was caused by God. We are uniquely created by God as humans. And we, and every plant and every animal, were created in perfection. Then God looked over all he had made and he saw that it was very good. And then God gave the world to humans. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Uh, God, don't you see a problem with that? We know who we are, and it ain't pretty, okay? (laughs) And we certainly know a lot of other humans in this world, and, well, 
giving the world to humans doesn't sound too smart. But who they were, those first humans, is not what we are. They were created perfect. And besides, God gave them a warning. You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Well, of course, we are living in this story. So we know what happened. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. The world was perfect and now evil was in the world and that evil contaminated the whole world. All the world began to die. It became a dog-eat-dog world. The strong began to dominate the weak. Survival of the fittest. It's a horrible, horrible truth. The strong, the fittest, overran the weak. In many cases, all the way to extinction. This event is called by theologians, the fall. Humans sinned, and all the world which was given to them was drugged down into the muck with them. Humans strongly exhibited this tendency to dominate, just as God warned. The strong dominated the weak, male over female, the larger over the smaller. With frightening rapidity, the Bible records the onset of murder, wars, rape, and more. At the moment Adam and Eve, in defiance of the God who created them, ate the fruit of that tree, every human who would ever be born was condemned to live this way. This is the plan, God? <laughs> well, no. He didn't create evil, but He created the possibility for evil to exist. Well, why did God make a tree to eat that could cause them to die and all of us with them? Well, they didn't have to eat it. <laughs> they could choose not to eat it simply because He asked them not to. God created people with free moral agency. Why not make them so that they couldn't do wrong? I mean, do you think that'd work? <laughs> C.S. Lewis said, Some can imagine God making a person who cannot choose to do wrong and yet can love. I cannot. Why did he allow the snake to tempt them? Didn't, didn't he know they would fall? Well, yes. But he wanted people whom he could love and who could love him in return. And he knew what he was doing. <laughs> Why did God allow evil in the world? Well, because he had a plan to save people in a way that no one but he could understand or accomplish. But what kind of plan? I uh, can't really tell you. <laughs> I mean, all of it. <laughs> We are told that this 
is a plan that would strike evil at its source. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl in your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. The serpent, the Bible later tells us, was Satan, the author of evil. God's son will crush him. Evil will be struck at its source. So, even as humans were condemned, the promise of the plan is made. Another part of the mystery of the plan is that humans are complex beings. We have both spirit and body. God said that they would die the moment they ate the fruit. But they kept living physically. So how does that work? Well, death, you see, is separation. The spirit of our first parents suffered death, separation of fellowship with God, the moment they did wrong, the moment they sinned. Their bodies took a lot, uh, much longer to die. <laughs> uh, many lived more than 900 years. I love this Lewis quote. It took them a long time to learn how to die. <laughs> I think that's great. <laughs> now, they did have kids, lots of kids as God said, and some remembered God's promise and looked forward to the day when his plan would be carried forward. But alas, most used their God-given free moral agency to choose sin, to be apart from God. Over some 1,500 years, things went from bad to worse. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was constantly, consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. So bad had things become that God had to wipe out all the people. And the Lord said, I will wipe this human race that I have created from the face of the earth. Yes, and I will destroy every living thing, all the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and even the birds of the sky. I am sorry I ever made them. But Noah found favor with the Lord. God had to wipe out all the people except those who believed. He found one man who could be trusted, Noah. Noah and his family, eight people, were all that God could save out of this wicked world. God warned Noah that everything about the earth was going to change. The whole surface of the earth would be covered in a flood. The very weather patterns of the earth would change. And all but one man and his family were condemned to death. And the Son is God. So he was involved in this plan. But there were promises after the flood. God promised never to flood the earth again, for one thing. And he hinted again at the plan. Then he told them the same thing he told Adam and Eve. Have kids, lots of them spread out on, on the earth until it is full of people. Why would God do that? <laughs> I mean, wasn't he worried the same thing would happen again? Well, no. He has changes built into his plan. He planned for all these poor condemned humans that he desires to love. I'd like to tell you that everything was perfect with Noah and his kids. <laughs> but that wouldn't be true. In short order, we find Noah, the one God thought worth saving, drunk and passed out in his tent. Okay? <laughs> Can we just say the plan wasn't Noah? All right, is that clear? <laughs> No more than it was Adam. God is working his plan. Well, this family grew until a great number of people once more inhabited the earth. It was one family, so everybody had the same language. 
all the more conveniently for one man to take control. The Bible gives us his name. It was Nimrod. He was the first on earth to become a mighty man. He and his cronies decided to do exactly the opposite of what God told them to do. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad the face of the whole earth. They started building a great tower so that they wouldn't spread all over the earth. So God changed their minds. Literally. He poked into their brains and caused them to speak and understand differently than they once did. He gave them all different languages. Can't boss people around very effectively when you can't understand each other? So they spread out all over the world. Now why would God do this to all these poor condemned people? Maybe first to protect them from themselves. Well, especially the weak from the strong. Because he had a plan. And it wasn't for one man to dominate all others. But part of that plan was to create a small group of people separated from the rest who would, in fact, do as he said. He started off with one man, Abram, and gave him a promise. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. How would people all over the world be blessed? God told Abram, who he renamed Abraham, to move to the hills east of the Mediterranean. Then he gave him a son, Isaac. And Isaac had a son named Jacob. And God renamed him Israel. This man named Israel had 12 sons, one of whom, Joseph, was sold into slavery by his brothers. I have five brothers. I can understand that. But Joseph, as God's man for that time, ended up prime minister in Egypt. Because of a famine, the whole family, now more than 70 people, was moved to Egypt where Joseph could provide for and protect them. They were given the best place in the land for shepherds, but they weren't in the land that God promised. And time went by. After 400 years, that one family had become a vast number of people, and they had been made slaves. These poor, condemned people what would God do for them? What's the plan, God? Well, enter one man, Moses. God prepared Moses especially to get the children of Israel out of Egypt and into the land he had promised Abraham. And like he did at creation, at the flood, and at Babel, God used miracles to achieve his purpose. Some very strange ones, including severe plagues that caused the Egyptians to eventually pay their slaves to leave. Okay, that's how bad they were. The last and worst plague was the killing of the firstborn. The Pharaoh continued to defy God. So Moses said, thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt such as there has never been nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, neither man nor beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. Everyone was condemned to lose their firstborn child unless, tell the congregation, 
tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. Your lamb shall be without blemish. The congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. And I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. The plan begins to come into focus a little. You see, it wasn't just the Egyptians who were defying God. There was no one without sin. And later, God teaches these people that the reason a lamb must be sacrificed is because they sin. And the sacrifice is needed to make them right with God. In Egypt, everyone's eldest child will die unless they perform a special ceremony God called the Passover. God would make the angel of death pass over any house where this special ceremony was held. The vast majority of Israelites performed the ceremony and their children were saved. The vast majority of Egyptians did not. And their children were condemned to death. God, why would you do such a strange thing? Why would you require the Passover ceremony before you would protect people from being condemned? Because he has a plan. <laughs> With this final plague, the Egyptians force the children of Israel to leave their land and they begin to trek to the promised land. And along the way, God gave Moses a law. This law told in detail how people should live if they wanted to please God. Finally, exactly what we need. Now we know how to please God. Now we can live so we won't be condemned anymore. But real quick, something unexpected happened. Nobody could actually live like the law said. Nobody. Not even Moses. The one man God chose, he didn't make it either. Like Adam, Noah, and Abraham before him, he failed. Nobody could please God. In fact, because of the law, everybody now knew for certain that they were condemned. God, what are you doing? Now it's even worse all that good stuff in the law just shows us how bad we are. Why did God even give them the law? Because He has a plan. <laughs> a plan that was a mystery to those poor, condemned people. After Moses led the people to the border, Joshua brought them into the promised land. As soon as he died, they began to live lives that showed that they were condemned people. <laughs> The judges came one after another and brought the people back to faith in God and then they would turn back to their evil ways. The great prophet Samuel, the last judge, turned them back again and then they failed again and wanted a king. Give us a king. God eventually gave him the great king David. God raised up David to be their king of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse a man after my heart who will do all my will. And he did, of course, but he also failed miserably and so did all Israel David's son Solomon had incredible wisdom but he failed worse yet 
So after Solomon's death, the nation was split into two. The northern kingdom had many godly prophets and many who were not, but not a single godly king. The southern kingdom, centered at Jerusalem, had both good and bad prophets, but also a few good kings. After some centuries, the northern kingdom was condemned and defeated in war, and all, all of them were deposed and lost. The southern kingdom lasted a few centuries longer, but eventually was condemned and forced into subservience in Babylon. God, what are you doing? Why even create this people and give them your perfect law just to scatter them over the face of the earth? Because he has a plan. A plan to prepare a small group. He gave the Jews in Babylon a promise that they would one day return and through his prophets gave them great hope that he would bless all the world just as he had promised Adam, Noah, and Abraham, and Moses through a man, a special man, the Christ. After 70 years, just as he had promised, the children of Israel were allowed to return to their land. There was great excitement. But then there were no more prophets for 400 years. Not a single prophet from God uttered a single word. But this time, a small group of people in Israel kept the faith. They kept the story alive. They tried their hardest to live as God had instructed them through Moses. They failed again and again, but they never stopped trying. And then one day, the unimaginable happened. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And now, here it is, what all those who believed over the millennia have desired to see, what Adam and Noah and Abraham and Moses looked for, the plan is revealed, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Son, eternally God, eternally Spirit, added another nature to His person. Without ever ceasing to be the Almighty, perfect, and holy God, He also became man. The person of the Son of God became a fetus. (laughs) He developed in Mary's womb, was born like any other human baby. He grew up learning like any other boy. He eventually learned his stepfather's trade and began work like any other man. But there was one thing he never did that other humans have always done. Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, and Solomon all did. But he never did. He never did anything for which he could be condemned. Ever. Never once did he break that perfect law. He never sinned. And so the people condemned him to die. You know, wait, how can this be? How can the one who cannot be condemned be condemned? Because he has a plan. He chose to be condemned instead of us. He volunteered his perfect life as a Passover for us. God can pass over our sins because of what he did. We can get our relationship with God back. As the Bible says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you want to be right with God? 
right like God. Now you're tired of living as a condemned human, just waiting for what you deserve, like the Egyptians. People, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I like this plan. (laughs) How do I get out of being condemned? Put the blood of the Passover lamb around the door of your heart. Be in Christ. And leave condemnation behind. Do you remember when Nicodemus came to Jesus? All this universe, all that we've discussed today, all Jesus said to Nicodemus is summarized in this short statement of John's. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. The problem is that we were all condemned because we didn't believe in the name of the Son of God. God sent His Son into the world to take on our condemnation and give us His perfect righteousness because He so loves us and did not want to see us perish but rather give us eternal life. All we have to do is believe. That's it. But there are some for whom I am concerned. If you do not have the blood of Jesus around the door of your heart, if you have not been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, you are condemned. Any human being. And you don't have to be condemned. No one does. No one has to perish. Just believe in the Son. And you will not perish, but have eternal life. I think that's good news. (laughs) As exciting as all this is, even this isn't the end of God's plan for those who love him in this world. It is true that every person who is not Christ is still condemned, still hurting and even killing each other, still perishing. In truth, the world is still condemned. Floods, earthquakes, animals dying. God, that can't be right, can it? No, it's not. But don't worry, he has a plan. All that we've talked about so far has already happened. Everything we've talked about is already done. Now listen to this part of the vision of the future that God gave to the Apostle John. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. One day all this horrible world will be wiped out and all the pain that goes with it, God will make it so evil is not even a possibility. Now this is a plan. (sighs) But we still live in this world knowing all we've learned today. If we do believe, what is our message? We, the people who are called the bride of Christ, 
What is our message to those who are still living condemned? The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. And how do you come? Hmm. Admit that you have lived, that you do live, condemned. Believe that Jesus can and will save you. Commit your life to him as Lord. He is the creator of the universe. The one who promised Adam and Eve that there was a plan. The one who brought Noah and his family through the flood. The one who protected the people at Babel. The one who walked with Abraham and taught Moses to trust him. The one who ruled through David and Solomon. The one who, though he was God, added a human nature to his person and suffered and died in our place. The one who rose from the grave in power and promised to bring all who believe into the great new creation where he will live with us. Where our old condemned nature will be gone and all evil with it. To all who have not yet believed, we say, come. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That is the plan.